Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you here. Freedom Hunt Las Vegas edition. Uh, I'm here uh, in Las Vegas. Love, lovely place. Lots going on, as I'm sure you know. There's... there's uh, there are shows to see. There's there's some gambling if you like that kind of thing. And uh, also, uh, maybe I'll get to a range while I'm down here. It's so unusual as a New Yorker to have an opportunity to actually just hop in a hop in a car and be like, I'm going to go shooting. You know, in New York, you have to pretty much get well outside of city limits. Uh, but a lot to talk to you about today on the show. Eight four four nine hundred buck. If you want to chat about any of the things going on in the world, in this country, uh, in your Hometown in your state, whatever you've got in mind, and of course anything that we discuss here over the course uh, over the hours of the show. Okay, so tax day usually is the day that your taxes are due, but today is kind of Trump tax day. He is planting a flag on this issue of changing the tax code, of making some pretty uh, important edits to what is already a, a giant monstrosity. And the tax code is completely out of control. It is not fair. It is full of – all you have to know is how big it is, and it's tens of thousands of pages. It's full of uh, carve-outs and giveaways for all kinds of special interests. And uh, ultimately, it is a tool for social engineering at the hands of both Democrats and, yes, Republicans. It is a way to influence markets, to influence private enterprise, and – our lives in countless ways. Trump spoke about this today. He was in Indiana just a little bit before I came on the show, and he had some things to say on this. Play clip eight, please. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and I guess it's probably something I could say that I'm very good at. I've been waiting for this for a long time. We're going to cut taxes for the middle class, make the tax code simpler and more fair for everyday Americans. And we are going to bring back the jobs and wealth that have left our country, and most people thought left our country for good. We want tax reform that is pro-growth, pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-family, and yes, tax reform that is pro-American. An America First tax program, you could say. Uh, We'll see what actually ends up happening here. It's not clear yet how much of the uh, initial initial offering of different rates and some other changes to the code will go through, will be uh, enshrined in statute. The biggest thing would be the reduction of personal income tax brackets from 7 to 3. You've got 12%, 25%, and 35%. That's what they're hoping for. Keep in mind, this is this is all in an active negotiation, and given what's happened recently with health care, 
oh, we're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, given where we're going with healthcare, I I would not expect this to be smooth sailing, and I wouldn't expect it to happen quickly on uh, tax reform. Um, they're also going to change the if they get their way, change the corporate tax rate from a top of thirty five percent to twenty percent. It was going to be fifteen percent, but then Trump changed his mind on that, um, and we shall see. I, I could. Speak a bit more about some of the details here. The the basics are the government will be taking less of your money, and this will be good for businesses, which will mean that there's more money to hire people, hire anyone listening, hire any of your friends, and better overall for the economy. Government seizing uh, private assets is not a productive productive endeavor. It is seizure. It is uh, legalized theft. I am not... Fond at all of the way the tax code works, as you have probably figured out. Mitch McConnell had some thoughts on it. Mitch McConnell. Uh, he's, it's been a tough week for, for Mitch. Hasn't been going all that well. Uh, but let's play clip 11 to hear what he has to say on the tax plan. It's about getting America going again and growing again, providing jobs and opportunity here rather than overseas, providing middle-class tax relief for hardworking American families so they can get ahead. Put another way, taking money out of Washington and putting it in the pockets of our citizens. Now, the one thing that the Republican establishment, for as long as I've been paying attention, uh, for as long as I've been alive and able to read a newspaper and watch TV, they've been all about tax reform for a very long time. This is not the dramatic change that some of us would want with a flat tax or a fair tax. It's just a slightly better tax code. And I don't know how much this will really make up for some of the recent dysfunction in Congress, some of the, uh, I, I think maybe it's too early to say betrayals from the GOP Congress, but certainly disappointments. That's a fair way to put it, the disappointments from members of Congress because they have not been able to repeal and replace how many how many different ads do you think you saw over the course of the last couple of election cycles for GOP uh, senators, members of the House, presidential candidates, where they talked about how much they wanted to repeal and replace? Oh, they were all so clear on it, and now they haven't done it. I know that uh, Trump is saying it's possible that they'll get it. Um, he says they'll, they'll get it somehow. Play clip six. And I was hoping this would be put on my desk right after we won the election and I'd come in and sign. But it didn't work that way. And a couple of people that I won't say anything. (laughs) But early next year, when reconciliation kicks back in, in any event, long before the November election, we're going to have a vote and we're going to be able to get that through. We'll see. I can't tell you what's going to happen because Trump can't tell you what's going to happen. Nobody really knows. No one knows how many Republican senators are going to lose their nerve on any number of legislative issues and agenda items. But I am hoping that getting tax reform through will at least put some put something up on the board to restore the faith that I think is rapidly slipping away from those of us who voted for Republicans in the last election cycle. I'm hoping that they're going to get something through on tax reform because if they can't do that, you have to wonder what is the point of a Republican majority if it is just the status quo, if it is in fact just business as usual. And on the issues of immigration and health care, which 
are certainly two of not just the biggest items on the list that Americans always tell pollsters they really care about. Uh, economy is number one, but immigration and healthcare are certainly very high. Healthcare, I think, is you know usually in the top two or three. So that we have not seen the movement on that we need. And we've also seen, I think, that sometimes Trump needs uh, a reminder, a, a corrective, that he was elected for a purpose. People voted for Trump, not, not just because he's so good at smacking around the media, not just because he takes them on and calls them fake news, which all of that is great. It's entertaining. I really, I really enjoy it, and I think it actually serves a very helpful, very necessary purpose. Um, because we need to understand just how biased the media is and have individuals and institutions with the kinds of megaphones that can push back against that to do so. We can't just sit around and suffer in silence and all this. So I have plenty about the administration so far that I would praise, that I think uh, falls in the category of good job so far. But taxes is not going to be that exciting. It's not going to be enough. There has to be more. There has to be health care. There has to be a wall. Yeah, there has to be a wall or else what was all of this for? If it's just defeating Hillary, the next Hillary is coming along. What do you mean? No, really, the next Hillary will be here in a matter of months. And by I say the next Hillary, whomever the Democrats are holding up as the, the inevitable candidate with the sterling resume and preferably from a... Uh, a, a compelling identity group. Not sure what it would be, but Democrats will figure that out. Uh, so here we are now with some momentum and some movement on taxes. We'll see. I think that this is the one area where because the Republican machinery uh, is powerful still, the Republican machinery means money, it means movement, that, yeah, taxes, we can get something done here, but this is not going to change your life. You know, if you were able to buy a health insurance policy that you really liked, or if you were able to see whatever doctors you wanted under your current policy, because the policies got a lot better through competition, through interstate competition, then I think you would have a really immediate benefit. But all the rest of the benefits of this tax battle that looms ahead here, assuming Republicans win, which may be giving them way too much credit, They'll take some time to settle in. It will not be immediate. Yeah, there'll be the possible repatriation of cash that's currently held overseas. That'll be a good thing. Yes, there will be uh, a an increase in hiring. You'll hope if the if the corporate tax rate is dropped down to twenty percent, there'll certainly be more cash on the balance sheets of a lot of corporations and small businesses. And, you know, there's a lot of weeds to get into here, and I don't know how much you really want me to get into those weeds because we don't really even know right now what's a valid part of the discussion and what's going to immediately get left on the cutting room floor. Just like when they, you'll recall, when when the uh, health care bill was up and we're talking about the possibility of now giving money over to the states and taking Obamacare out of the hands of the federal government, at least somewhat. I'll tell you about this, but until it's actually about to happen, if the Republicans aren't going to do anything, we don't need to know all of the details because... None of it really matters. I mean, it matters insofar as we can understand what it is that Republicans are trying to accomplish. But getting stuff done, getting it over the goal line matters a whole lot more than just the effort, the facade. How many repeal votes did we have on Obamacare? 
dozens, dozens and dozens of them. It didn't really mean anything, did it? It was it was symbolic and truly meaningless. Um, although it was a reminder, I think, of don't trust politicians. Don't believe what they have to say. Hold them to account. Um, I have a lot that I want to get into today on the show. I mean, you know, it's a big news cycle of tax reform today, which is not my favorite topic. And I'm sure for a lot of you, too, you're like taxes. And look, taxes affect us, so it, it matters. In fact, I think you could argue that, you know, if it has if it's going to be whether the Republicans get through a major tax reform package or whether the NFL tells people they have to stand, which one is more likely to affect you in the near term? It's probably going to be taxes. But the fight for the country's soul and respect for the armed forces and the divisions that that whole NFL sit, stand, kneel debate has opened up for us are, are worthy of, of attention as well. I'm just saying taxes, it's not a, an exciting topic, but it's an important one. But there's some other stuff that I do want to talk to you about today, including I, I spent a lot of time reading about the Menendez, Senator Menendez trial. I doubt you've heard this anywhere else. I mean, the way I'm going to give it to you, it's an amazing story. It's incredible. It is fascinating, and there's big stakes. Made, I mean, the, the control of the Senate and in the more immediate future even, the ability to get through one of these major, uh, one of these major uh, legislative acts might depend on whether Menendez is guilty or not. So, I mean, this has national consequences. It's an incredible story about the media. And they talk about this in the most uh, blasé, neutral, unimp- unimportant way. You know, it's ah, it's not a big So I'll talk to you about that. We'll also get into North Korea later on in the show. I think we might even have an EMP expert on to talk about that concern. Uh, we'll discuss the Jones Act for those of you who want to know what's going on with Puerto Rico and some of the politics surrounding that, as well as the terrible situation that many of our uh, fellow Americans in Puerto Rico find themselves in. Uh, and uh, a bit of health care, a bit of a lot today on the show. I'm not going to have time to get to everything, but we're going to cover a lot. And I promise you, it's not going to turn into a Lumberg from Office Space lecture on tax rates because that's just not worth enough of our time. You, we get the broad strokes, less corporate tax, a little less individual tax, some other nice things here and there, changing, deduct- uh, changing deductions. You know, whoop D. Let's see if it actually happens. Um, 844-900-BUCK. I see some lines lit. We'll take some calls. We'll discuss. I think I might go Men- the Menendez trial next. I mean, we're talking about massive tens of millions of dollars of, of fraud, uh, direct pay for favor allegations, uh, international jet setter girlfriends showing up, private jets paid for, senators calling in, threatening bureaucrats for favors for the girlfriend. I mean, it's amazing stuff. So I think we should get into that. That's going to be more fun than taxes. Why don't we talk about that right after the break? Stay with me. Buck Sexton here with you coming uh, coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, courtesy of the wonderful folks here at KW, uh, KDWN, KDON in Las Vegas. Um Let's uh, get to talking here for a second with uh, George in Pennsylvania. Good to have you, sir. Hey, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Buck, I talked to your regular Ken Matthews show at 580 in Harrisburg, and I really like all the points you're making. You do a fantastic job. Thank Um, you, sir. These distractions that we forever see come up on the media. I mean, if it isn't one thing, it's another. And the real issues that will affect us 
like, you know, what's going on with North Korea. Nobody can imagine right now just how bad it's going to be. But it's going to get ugly with North Korea. And I mean, if this guy could ever get to where he needs to be, he can blackmail anybody he wants to. And he's got nothing to lose, if you know what I mean. And no, no one's playing this up the way it's supposed to be. What's going on right now with healthcare? The fact that these Republicans have promised to, um, to you know, replace and repeal, and they're not doing it. I mean, who are the donors? Yeah, they, they could have done it. I think this is important too, George. It's not that they. Before it was their hands were tied. Now they're like, oops, well, our hands aren't tied, but sorry, we, we can't come through for what, you, GOP voters. Who are the donors that are paying them off? Who's well, paying these guys off to lay down? Look, I think for I think for Senator McCain, it's a combination of personal disdain for President Trump and uh, c- cementing his legacy as a uh, as a legislator um, by opposing the repeal of Obamacare. I mean, I I thought that I thought that was a profound betrayal of the GOP, um, and and as well as you know Murkowski and Collins and these others. I mean, this is. Uh, they, they just want to be bought off because they figure that their political careers hang in the balance if they're not giving out enough goodies to people in their home states. But it's appalling, George. It's appalling. Uh, it's going to collapse on its own weight. We'll and, see. And I mean, be, you know, now they're ta- it, now they're talking about they're they're talking about shoring up exchanges, George, and that just means taxpayer cash. This is and, and yeah. thank you for calling in, man. Shields High in Pennsylvania. Love my folks in the uh, Harrisburg Harrisburg. Team Buck, folks, always great to have you calling in, and uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, they're going to just start shoveling. They're going to be pushing the uh, proverbial duffel bags full of cash out the side of the helicopter soon. I mean, that's what they're going to be doing to shore up the exchanges for Obamacare, which just means your money. That's all that that really means. John in Alaska, K-E-N-I. What's going on, John? You're in Vegas. Where do you like to go shooting? Have you been there before? Uh, I've actually never been shooting in Vegas before. Well, the, they used to have the, and it was a great place, the Caliche Cliffs just north of Vegas. But I think they stopped that because it's a maze and too many people were shooting in different directions. And I don't know if it's legal there or not, but you can go to Indian Springs and they've got a volcanic caldera. So you basically you've got walls all the way around you with caves. You can shoot in the caves and listen to the bullets ricochet. It's really quite nice. Oh, all right, interesting. All right, well, thank you, John. And, Thanks for calling in from Alaska. I, oh, you got more? Because we're, we're about to run into a break here. Do you want to stay through on the other side and tell? Oh, wait. So, sorry, John. Ty, Ty dropped you. I'm going to blame Ty. <laughs> I'm far away, so I can blame Ty without fear of reprisal. Um, all right, we're going to uh, run into a break here. We'll take some more calls. I, I, I'm telling you, the Senator Menendez stuff is it's incredible. It's a much better story than you've been led to believe. It's a much more important political story than the media wants you to believe. And I spent a lot of time reading about this one. So Senator Menendez, corruption, coming up. It's one of the most incredible corruption cases in this country uh, from recent decades. I mean, it's not quite as as amusing as uh, Rob Blagojevich saying that a Senate seat is a valuable thing and basically saying he wants to sell it. Uh, but in, in many ways, it it was a much, uh, well, the dollar amounts involved, there's certainly a whole lot more than anything anyone was talking about with Blagojevich. You've got the, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, 
Senator Menendez from New Jersey. Now, I know New Jersey, and by the way, my NJ peeps, you know I love you. All right, a, lot of, a lot of close friends from NJ. But if you're looking for political corruption, the only thing that can make you feel better about what goes on in Albany, the state capital of New York, is if you know a little bit about the politics of New Jersey. And the only thing that might make you feel better as a New Jerseyan would be if you knew a bit about the politics of Maryland and, and Baltimore. Uh, you know, I and mean, I'm sure there are some other places we could pick out, but th- those are all some places where there's a lot of corruption. But even putting pretty low standards in place, this Menendez trial that's underway right now is is incredible because of the actual story, how brazen this is, how if Menendez is not guilty of corruption, then there's basically no such thing of as corruption. Then, then a, a federal official, and in this case, an elected official, a very powerful one at that, a U.S. senator, has been serving since the 90s, uh, can get away with, well, taking gifts, taking money for his uh, reelection campaign. It, uh, this is as cut and dry, as, as clear-cut a case of corruption at this level as, as I've ever heard of. Now, are you getting that sense from the media? I mean, sure, they they cover it, but they cover it in this, you know, oh, yeah, there's a there's a trial going on, Senator Menendez. I mean, it's like they're talking about, uh, you know, Jim from accounting who, you know, stole some extra paper clips. This is a big deal. This Menendez trial is a big deal. And before I can even really tell you what a big deal this is, I have to talk about another case that you may or may not have uh, read about, heard about much already. And that's, why is Menendez on trial? Well, it's because of an eye doctor from Florida named Dr. Solomon Melgan. And he was a very wealthy ophthalmologist. And he was convicted. He was convicted earlier this year, back in April, of defrauding Medicare. Get this, everybody. Convicted of defrauding Medicare of $90 million. Can we? Nine zero million. You know, this isn't a guy who was, you know, billing a couple of extra procedure codes here and there, you know, trying to pad the bank account at the end of the month, make ends meet. $90 million. And was a very close friend, and there's no doubt about that, of Senator Menendez, so and, and was a, a longtime political benefactor. So that that's all been that's all in the record. Everyone knows about that. But I mean, to run a ninety million dollar fraud and to be convicted of, of felony charges that could send you away for decades in prison, this is who the most powerful senator on the Foreign Relations Committee for the United States of America. This is who he spent a lot of his free time with, and this is who he was relying on for donations. I think he's $750,000 of donations to a PAC with the specific instructions of make sure you help Menendez get reelected. You go into the details here. Yeah, Melgan was guilty on 67 counts of Medicare fraud. Sorry, I I think I might have said Medicaid before. I meant Medicare. Pardon me. Medicare fraud uh, and could spend 15 years in prison. And Menendez is a co-defendant with this guy. Now, the way the media is approaching this, uh, you can expect this. Well, innocent until proven guilty. 
which is a very selective thing with the media. Who's it? Is Trump innocent until proven guilty on Russia? I ask you that. Not in the media's mind, right? They're already asking questions about treason. They, they will muse out loud about the president's possible violation of what is, in fact, a capital crime, treason. Th- that they'll go, they'll go there right away. You know, they, they've still got nothing on Trump when it comes to Russia collusion, but they talk about it like any day now, any day now, that other shoe is going to drop, that bombshell's going to hit. We're going to know that who's really going to Yuri, who's running Facebook account and, you know, make the different election happen and uh, Hillary we hate, so we make Trump win. But no. No. Melgan was already convicted. Menendez is facing uh, serious charges here for his... Um, uh, for his role in all this. And here's what we know about this. And this is why I just, I have to laugh at the bias that's involved here. And don't let me skip over, you know, how do you think you feel right now if you're Governor Bob McDonald of Virginia, who not only took, and there was no, they never even were able to allege that he did any favors for it was a businessman who was uh, involved with nutraceuticals or some kind of, I forget, some kind of health, health uh, company, health product company, in Virginia, never did anything for the guy, just hung out with him. And for that, not state, but federal prosecutors, because it was a Republican, remember, very different justice system for Democrats and Republicans. Unfortunately, the federal government has, and we now know more about this because people talk about the deep state, but it's really the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It is controlled by Democrats, by leftists across the board. If you're looking at the rank and file of federal government, that doesn't mean everybody. There are some amazing patriots I know that I would trust in, in, in any situation and are the most ethical people imaginable who work for the federal government. But overwhelmingly, the political inclination of federal government employees is Democrat, is leftist. And that also applies to prosecutors, to the Department of Justice to the very folks who have the kind of power where they can ruin lives if they choose to. They can destroy careers. They can take away your freedom. A lot of Democrats, a lot of politicized Democrats in those positions, as we've seen from various attempts at prosecution, most of them unsuccessful against Republicans in, you know, prominent national level Republicans, whether it's Scott Walker or Chris Christie or, uh, well, Bob McDonald was convicted, but then the Supreme Court said, uh, you can't convict somebody for that, guys. Try again, right? I mean, you, you look at the list, Governor Rick Perry in Texas, prosecutors going after them. They don't find any. They don't get anything. And by the way, they're not going to have anything on Trump at the end of this Russia thing, as we know and have known all along. But the process is the punishment, and the processors, the bureaucrats, are leftists. They're Hillary voters, maybe Bernie voters. The deep state, baby. You know, that's something to keep in mind as we go forward here. But McDonnell, governor of Virginia, who at one point was on the short list of possible vice presidential candidates for Mitt Romney and was talked about, I think, largely because he looks like a guy that would be cast as the president in a movie. Mr. President, I don't dance. You know, Uh, I saw Clear and Present Danger the other day. It was on TV. Good movie. I still think Hunt for Red October is the best of the film clancy genre but uh nonetheless so menendez is tied in with this guy melgan who's already now a convicted felon and he's facing more charges because of the 
situation with Menendez. You're like, well, Buck, what did Menendez do? Because the big difference here is whether there is what you call a quid pro quo. And that's that was not the standard for Menendez. I mean, sorry, for um, McDonald, governor, former governor of Virginia. They went after him and his wife, who wasn't even a public official, had no power. They prosecuted his wife criminally as well for being part of the corruption conspiracy or whatever. I mean, it was just crazy. Bunch of bunch of federal prosecutors who were who were looking to, uh, you know, looking to add to their resume. It was it was politically motivated uh, headhunting. I mean, that's and that's what prosecutors do all the time. And it tends to happen against Republicans. I'm going to talk to you about the implications of the Menendez case in a second, which is a Senate seat. A Senate seat hangs in the balance here. By the way, how much did we uh, not? What was the difference with not repealing versus repealing Obamacare just a few weeks ago? With Thanks, Senator John McCain. What was the difference? One vote. One vote. If it were not for federal prosecutors going after Ted Stevens, senator from Alaska, and hiding exculpatory evidence, deliberately railroading a U.S. senator, but he was a Republican, you would not have had the series of events that led to Obamacare's passage. They wouldn't have had the 60. So these political corruption trials have implications far beyond just the what it means for that state, that, in, that individual, his family, and those who voted for him and those around him, right, the staffs that work for these senators. They have national-level implications. And this Menendez thing, it's going to be over in like six weeks, and people are like, oh, there was a trial? You mean there was a U.S. senator? Yeah, sure. They have to cover it somewhat, meaning the media has to go through the motions. But with Menendez, they're just going through the motions. This could be a Senate seat. This could lead to. Have you ha- have you heard anybody saying this? Any Except, of course, our friends at Fox and some other talk radio shows, right? But I'm talking about the rest of the media. Have you heard any of them say that you may have the first time in over – over a century, I, I want to say maybe the first time, I think it might, let me check, it might be the first time ever, where you have a senator who is removed from office, impeached and removed from, oh, I guess not impeached, I forget what the specific terminology is, but they might, because he might not step down even if he's convicted of felony charges because of the Senate seat that hangs in the balance, and Chris Christie's a governor of Virginia right now, I'm sorry, governor of New Jersey right now, Virginia's like, What? Governor of New Jersey right now. I know we're bouncing around the country a lot here. So that's at stake. But for pure tabloid reasons, for just reasons of of human interest and what we like to read about, I mean, you got Menendez trying to, the senator from New Jersey, trying to weigh in for this convicted felon Melgan. $90 million of fraud, this guy. $90 million. Convicted. 16 counts. This guy's dirty as dirty can be. And Menendez is trying to ex- exert influence of the federal government to help Melgin, who owns some uh, shipping interest, I think, in the Dominican Republic. Menendez is taking flights on this guy's private jet. He ended up having to pay back at one point fifty thousand dollars out of his pocket because it was so gross. What he was Menendez was taking fifteen hundred dollar a night hotel room stays in Paris. Menendez was putting pressure on the uh, immigration system in this in this country to try and get you know various foreign beauties the ability to come into the country for melgan who i should note is married you see photos of him with his wife that's at the courthouse but you know flying in foreign girlfriends with lots of bikini photos all over facebook and everything right i mean this 
This is what's going. This is one of the most powerful Democrat senators in the country right now, directly tied in the to, to our foreign policy making. This guy's been around for decades, deep connections, and his closest associate, who's writing huge checks to make sure Menendez is reelected, is flying him around on a private jet, flying in his foreign hotties left and right, trying to use his post as a U.S. senator to help get the uh, foreign ladies entrance into this country, trying to exert pressure. I mean, you go down the list and you're just like, how is this not corruption? If this isn't corruption for a sitting U.S. senator, what is? And what will it say about the Democrat Party? I mean, think about this. What will it say to the Democrat Party if Menendez is convicted and he doesn't step down? And they're going to force a vote. Are there any Democrats who are going to try to keep it? Conv- you you think to yourself, no way, Buck. There's no way they would do that. Oh, yeah? If it means the balance of the Senate, you, you don't think that they'd be willing to take the hit on their credibility? Because they want to wait and see who the next governor of New Jersey is. They assume it will be a Democrat. And then a Democrat will appoint Menendez's replacement. Now, this is assuming he's guilty. And Menendez, you know, not guilty until proven. I mean, sorry, whoops, no. Not guilty until proven innocent. See, I'm getting way ahead of myself with that one. I'm thinking of how they treat Republicans, which is guilty until proven innocent. And even then, they're still guilty, right? Uh, But this Menendez thing is incredible, and no one's paying any attention to it in the media. They just don't want to talk about it. I mean, this the difference between whether or not repeal and replace in some capacity happens may be whether Menendez is found guilty of trying to force immigrations and customs to let this guy Melgin's foreign, you know, girlfriends to come into the country. I mean, and no one no one in the media is talking about it. All right, all right. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Uh, what do you think about this Menendez thing? Did you know all this? I was reading about this. I was like, this is incredible. Um, also, if you have any thoughts on taxes, anything else, let me know. We'll take some calls if you want. Otherwise, we'll uh, move on to some other things. We'll be right back. All right. The team. Oh, hey, Buck Sexton is back, which is weird because that's me referring to myself in the third person. But uh, there we have it. Julie in Tennessee on the Blaze Radio. What's going on, Julie? Buck Shields, hi. Shields, hi. Oh, Julie, hey. thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, hey, I... Um, I uh, was wondering, have you heard about the second lieutenant, Spencer Rapone? Oh, yeah, this is the uh, West Point guy that had the Che Guevara shirt on and and also had the, uh, what was it, uh, communism will win in his hat at at West Point while in uniform, right? Right, with his sisters and all that. He's a hashtag support Kaepernick, I guess it was what he was saying. Um, Yeah, he he goes by commie bebop. In, on his Twitter feed, huh. and I just I pulled up uh, on one of the articles. It's through the Independent Sentinel dot com. Uh, former Democratic Rep. Jason Altmeyer of Pennsylvania recommended Rapone to West Point, um, and now he's he's um, dis, uh, stepping that back. And there's they're saying that Rapone's father is also a politician in Pennsylvania, and he's a disavowing him also. And so if you go over to that site and read the article, it gives you more information. Now, according to the UCMJ, that is, that's a, a criminal offense against the, the military. That's, he should be tried. Uh, I don't know what the specifics of UCMJ are with regard right. to what he's done, but right. I, I, do know that you can't, I do know you can't do that. <laughs> right, it, absolutely. He... It, well, 
what what article is it? Article one thirty four. Conduct on becoming an officer. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, so and my husband's we were both veterans, but he he's up on all that stuff. But yeah, so so several of us, you know, through Facebook, we communicate, and this is really taken off with us in in the social media and it's i'm really glad that it's come to the forefront but now what do we do with these people because he's claiming that there's many of them and if oh, that, what, that there are leftists in, in uniform and there are there are progressives right. who who serve and then uh, and mm-hmm. while they're ideologically trying to undermine the country they'll also be the first ones to turn around and say see my service my service is like well look uh, just because just because you serve or you go to West Point, it doesn't mean that you're allowed to support revolution in this country or something. It doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want to say. Uh, so, right. yeah, I, I don't know what we're gonna what we're gonna do with them um, or what we're gonna do about this. You know, I've never been military, I so I can't. The dialogue alive. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, look, I would tell you this: um, there are a lot of, and a thank you for your service and your call, Julie, and your husband as well. There are a lot of leftists out there who are in positions in the government that uh, they like the power and they also like to have the access to government institutions as statists. So, you know, I, I don't know. Why would someone be so dumb as to do this, though? It just throws his whole I mean, military career or any career away, really. I, I just can't imagine um, being so foolish, but... This uh, young West Point cadet decided to put it all out there. Let's talk about the election last night. We'll get into that. So more upset strange last night in Alabama in the Senate primary for the GOP. Now, people are saying that that is, well, they're right in saying this, that it's the overwhelming likelihood based on recent electoral history in Alabama is that you're going to have a Republican win, although I think you can expect a uh, a very clear line of attack from the Democrats in Alabama for that Senate seat that may not be so much about that seat as it is about the hashtag resistance and uh, anti-Trumpism. But before I, I get too far down into that, let's talk a bit about what happened Last night, let's discuss why is it that it was a, a clear victory for a candidate who didn't have the backing of the establishment. Now he had Trump, uh, Trump in his corner, and it didn't work. And I, I saw that reporting today that Donald Trump was unhappy about uh, how this went down and was angry about it. But uh, when you look at what was really lined up here and what the two sides represented to voters in Alabama, I think this all makes a whole lot of sense. It's not surprising in the least. I mean, so Roy Moore, those of you who may not know, uh, was, I, I think is still best known for being the Ten Commandments judge. He had a Ten Commandments granite monument outside of the uh, Alabama courthouse Alabama was it state Supreme Court, I believe. And he didn't move it even after he was told that he had to move it. And there have been some other times. There's been a couple of times when he's gotten into trouble for refusing to cave. He says he has religious convictions and that religion and state should not be separated in the way that so many in the media and certainly the ACLU insists upon. And he won't go along with it. OK, so that's that's more. And, and he's a uh, 
he's a colorful figure. He is somebody that the establishment is not all that uh, comfortable with. I think that's fair to say. Here's Judge Roy Moore's victory speech, just a little part of it from last night after he won by 10 points, 55-45. Play 13, please. I believe we can make America great, but we must make America good, and you cannot make America good without acknowledging the sovereign source of that goodness, the sovereign source of our law, liberty, and government, which is Almighty God. Now, I should note that there was a, an analysis done of, of Bill Clinton and on this issue of God and God in public life and citing God in public life. I remember reading analysis. This is many years ago, so this is just going to the buck memory banks here. But it broke down how often in public statements President Bill Clinton, hey, everybody, I'm back, uh, versus George W. Bush mentioned God. And Clinton actually said it more in public, meaning that when he was giving an official statement of one kind or another, Clinton actually would speak about God more often. And this raised some questions, which is, well, why is George W. considered the super religious, you know, evangelical right wing Christian, whereas Clinton is be like, oh, you know, God, this and God, that and I'm just going to talk about it. And it was fine. Fine with the media. The left was OK with it. I think it's because they realized that most of the country, including Democrats, are still religious and they're willing to allow Democrat representatives, the power base, the progressive power base within the left. Uh, is, you know, the, the ACLU, uh, Planned Parenthood, Nancy Pelosi left, is willing to allow Nancy Pelosi to talk about how she's a Catholic, even though she should be, based on church doctrine, she should be excommunicated. It's just, it's just reality. I went to Jesuit school. We could talk about excommunication all day if you want. Maybe we'll do church history on some day if I feel like it. But they uh, they are okay with with. A lot of hypocrisy from Democrats on the issue of God and on their public utterances about God. And and media in general has a really uh, difficult time with connecting with people of uh, people of faith. And unless it's Islam, in which case you'll have everyone from President Obama who will say that the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam to Every pundit I can think of at CNN who all of a sudden, even the ones who have never been to a Muslim-majority country, don't know the history of the Muslim world, don't know a darn thing, they'll go on TV and they'll be the ones saying, oh, this is the real concern here is Islamophobia. I'm just I'm really worried about all the Islamophobia that's coming out of this recent terrorist attack where lots of people died. But the Islamophobia is the real problem. There's, there's, a, whole, there's a whole bunch of people that have made a career out of this, right? rushing to the defense of, and they're not themselves, at least not that I'm aware of, Muslims. But they rush to the defense of Islam because it is a religion that is associated with um, non-white and therefore ethnic minorities, even though there are plenty of white Muslims around the world, but neither here nor there for the left's purposes. And it is a counterweight to Christianity, which the left is always excited about. In fact, wait, we've got, don't we have uh, Lawrence O'Donnell uh, over at MSNBC, he was playing Moore's speech. And then, you know, Moore, uh, after his victory last night, Judge Moore won the Alabama Republican primary for Senate. And Lawrence O'Donnell over at MSNBC is, is playing the speech, and he just cuts away from him. Play 14. We believe that all people are created in the image of God, and from that faith we will not be moved. We've been oh. moved. Okay, we we're going to come back 
back into the studio for this conversation. What I'm, I've been told by the control room is that he has been speaking about God and about God almost exclusively, uh, with I think uh, so far no real reference to uh, his opponent or Donald Trump. Good heavens! What's giving? What do you mean he's giving all this time, all this airtime to God? G O D. That's insane. Stop the hammering. Stop. Someone call Phil Griffin. Stop the hammering. Remember that? That was the same guy. Played on the show earlier in the week. That uh, clip of Lawrence O'Donnell. I love when you get a peek at some of these pampered, overpaid TV types. Now, you know, these these, uh, Democrats over at the various three-letter networks. When you know that they're they're champions of the people until it actually comes to interacting with the people, and then you see that not so much, not so much. One of my uh, one of my favorite uh, anecdotes is of a friend of mine, a conservative, not all time anecdotes, but on this issue, is of a uh, conservative friend of mine who was traveling out to California, and Rachel Maddow of MF, of MSNBC was on his plane, and he said that you know. Just all these people back in in coach were trying to wander up and get a peek at Maddow, who of course was in first class, and and just wanted to tell her how they appreciated how much she was doing for uh, for the working class in this country and for lower income people in this country. It's like you know Maddow's making ten million dollars a year. She she does not actually. She does not actually care one way or the other what's going on with it. I I hate to break it to the progressives en route to California in that plane who were sneaking up to first class to talk about how Maddow is this class warrior, but doesn't really care. Does not really care. Likes to pretend to care because a lot of other people from the coasts, from the cities, from blue, blue areas of the U.S. like to think about how much they care about the economically less fortunate but it is just a form of making themselves feel good. It's not actually. It's it doesn't translate into their own personal conduct or anything else. Okay, I know I've I've wandered a bit. Once you get me on MSNBC, I'll just go off into that direction. And, and uh, there's some important takeaways. And this is what I this is what darn it, Buck. I've got I've got Vegas on the brain, man. I'm already thinking about those craps tables and blackjack later and all that stuff. Although I, I actually I don't I don't gamble. I don't understand the appeal. But this will have to be a, a just personally. It's just not for me. I don't know. I, I I wish I wish I thought it was fun because I'm in a great place right now to gamble. But I'm not a gambler. Uh, I do love good food though and shows and all that. So I do like that part of Vegas. I want to talk about why Moore's win has some implications because I know Trump was upset about this, and and I can understand uh, how this looks. Yet Bannon going to the mat, going going uh as all in as he could to try and help Moore win. And sure enough, Moore beat Luther Strange by about 10 points. Uh, you also had Dr. Sebastian Gorka, who we've had on the show many times, uh, and Sarah Palin, all in favor of, uh, of Judge Moore. And people are saying, well, this shows, well, there's a whole bunch of different things in the show. One is that Trump has to actually be about Trumpism. I think that's the most important single takeaway from all of this, that we didn't just elect the president because he, as I've been saying this show, angers the media, go, takes the fight to them, is willing to get involved in the, uh, the culture war in a way that, you know, other Republicans, it was a little too, they were a little too country club, a little too, oh gosh, what are we doing with all the, 
this NFL kneeling nonsense? Oh, let's talk about the import-export bank again. That's much more up my alley. So we've got a a president right now who will call out the media for fake news. Will will and that's and that's all great. But he also made some promises and he brought an agenda with him, and we expect him to follow through on that. Our expectation is that he will make good on the agenda. And recently, when you look at DACA, for example, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, where you had Trump at least coming out of a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, in which the Democrats were saying that it's all systems go on DACA through Congress, which would mean amnesty, uh, that Trump perhaps needed a, a reminder. And maybe this Alabama race is that reminder of you can't abandon the people that are the reason that you got the job. And Strange was less, Luther Strange, was uh, less of a an immigration hawk than Judge Moore was. So that's one part of this. Also, uh, that Bannon is able to be out there and pushing in this way shows that he's probably better off not being in the White House. I actually think that's true. And I don't I know a lot of other conservatives have very. Uh, oof, how do I put this? Um, intense opinions about Bannon. I've never met him. I've never interacted with him. So I've, all I know about him is his public public persona and his role in the administration and his time at Breitbart. I had some friends at Breitbart, but, I, you know, I don't spend I haven't spent any time with Bannon. Uh, but he was important in this whole situation. He was important in this race. And that he's out there and able to go against the public wishes of the president in this way. This isn't on a, this isn't a huge deal. This isn't a slap in the face to the administration. But uh, I think that it is helpful in a sense. It does allow Bannon to just do what he does and make sure that the president stays on message and on the mission. Build a wall, secure the border, uh, all the things that we continue to talk about here on the show. Um, so I think you have to look at amnesty through DACA as a part of what we saw play out in Alabama, uh, meaning that because you had um, more very opposed to the Pelosi-Schumer deal. People saw that. Strange was kind of, you know, eh, he was kind of iffy on the whole thing. So if you are trying to send a message to Trump that DACA is not okay, remember, Trump could veto it, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what the Congress does. He could say, nope. If you're trying to send a message to Trump that amnesty for illegals is not okay, voting for more might have been a mechanism for doing that. Um, beyond that, every one of these elections is local and, you know, I, I can't pretend to know the mind of the people of Alabama, but there are some broad trends here that I think we can, we can identify. There are some, uh, areas of this that I think are, are pretty clear for us. One more thing before I run into a break and then I, I've got, we're going to uh, talk about Puerto Rico, what's going on there. Um, we're going to be talking about EMPs in North Korea later on in the show, I believe we've got Michelle Malkin joining, which will, of course, be a lot of fun. Uh, much to discuss. Uh, one more thing. You have a former U.S. attorney running against, as, the, as he's the Democrat candidate in Alabama, running against Moore. And people are saying, oh, well, maybe you know, he hasn't raised much money. And 
They're saying maybe he's got a shot. Maybe he'll make a make a horse race out of this. I don't think he will. I think it's unlikely that you will see a, a close race in Alabama for this Senate seat. But because the individual who is running is a former U.S. attorney who also prosecuted the uh, bombing of a Baptist church. Oh, gosh, I've gone I've gone long into my time here. Bombing of a Baptist church back in the 60s. Uh, he's going to be seen as the anti he's the anti-racist. The media is going to try and tarnish Moore's reputation and character and with it, the whole Republican Party as racist, as Klansmen, as all of that. And and hope that that's a, a way of getting their base energized and excited for the midterm. So even if they lose in Alabama, there are going to be a lot of Democrat pundits and newspapers and all the rest of it who are going to focus in on that race and say that it's a political race that is a referendum on racism. That's what they'll say. All right, I'll break here. We'll talk about uh, probably Puerto Rico on the latest there right after. Stay with me. Well, we're thinking about that, but we have a lot of shippers and a lot of people and a lot of uh, people that work in the shipping industry that don't want the Jones Act lifted. And we have a lot of ships out there right now. And Puerto Rico is a very difficult situation. I mean, that place was just destroyed. That's not a question of gee, let's dry up the water, let's do this or that. I mean, that place was flat. That is a really tough situation. I feel so badly for the people. President Trump should give a waiver to the Jones Act. I think we we can all be very clear on that. Uh, let's just get into a little of the background here. Jones Act is from 1920, has to do with U.S. Uh, maritime trade. Long and the short of it is that back in 1920, the Congress decided that it was in the interest of the country to uh, make sure that a, a, if you're transporting goods from one U.S. port to another U.S. port, it has to be an American ship with an American crew and you know, uh, American, 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 all the way through. And now that means that you can't just have ships that go right to, uh, you know, ships from Puerto Rico are being rerouted, right? Or ships to Puerto Rico are being routed in ways that um, either takes more time or it's just more expensive. It's more expensive. Uh, It's a cost measure. Um, So this is right now, given the, the devastation of Puerto Rico, which is, which is terrible, and you know the aftermath of these storms. I think often gets less because you can't have news correspondents standing in you know rubber boots saying, you know, I'm up to my knees here in the water and look at the wind. So the visual, I'm being serious. The visual is just not as powerful. So after the storm, you get far less attention to what's and and many times the aftermath is the worst part. The shortages of uh, potable drinking water or potable water. So repeat myself. Of, of food, of medical care, all of that. And Puerto Rico needs help right now. It's in bad shape. Now, the U.S. has been – I mean, the U.S., it's part of the U.S., but you know what I mean. The federal government has been sending a lot of help, and they've been engaged in a massive relief operation. But the Jones Act should should go. It's from 1920. Homeland Security can waive it. George W. Bush waived it after Katrina, and it should just mean that any ships from anywhere – that can get to Puerto Rico and bring its stuff should just go. Um, And that would make things uh, better off, I think. Here's what the Wall Street Journal says. A senior DH official said that the Jones Act doesn't permit the department to grant waivers simply to push down costs. Only the Department of Defense may obtain a Jones Act waiver automatically. 
which it did did to remove petroleum or to move petroleum products from Texas after Hurricane Harvey. If a request comes from another agency or person, such as a member of Congress, DHS conducts an analysis to determine whether U.S. flagships can accommodate the needs before granting it. So this is they've got to understand the politics here. We're, we're also not in a period where it's a, a national security issue for us to have a big shipping industry that's domestic based. I and mean, we, we've got a lot of ways to get stuff around that is uh, not based on shipping the way it was in 1920. You know, there were concerns about what would happen to us if we had uh, an inability to continue to get supplies if we were engaged in another war, uh, like, say, World War II. Um, so these are all – this is a law that's outdated, and they should waive this thing. And I hope Trump doesn't fall into the trap here of because the media is telling him to do it, I know he doesn't want to do it. But just because the media wants you to do something – President Trump does not mean it's always wrong. And in this case, waive the Jones Act. Let that let that relief, let those supplies get to Puerto Rico, bring the cost down, make it faster. That's the way to do it. All right, we're going to have more uh, back with you in just a few. Buck Sexton here with you from uh, Las Vegas today. Very much enjoying my time down here. Let's get uh, Allison in Alabama on WBV. Hey, Allison. Hi, Buck. How are you? I'm good. So you actually voted in this uh, Senate race. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I know you've kind of moved on from the. Topic, no, no, no. We we, we we love the ground truth here. It's a you know we cover a lot of territory. So tell me what's going on. Okay, so in the first round of voting, I voted for Mo Brooks, and I was really worried that this would end up happening. Luther Strange and Roy Moore would split the vote, and and this would end up happening. Um, and I actually voted for Roy Moore yesterday, but um, I was really conflicted about it because on the one hand. I kind of feel like he's an embarrassment to the state in a lot of ways. I had family members who just couldn't bring themselves to even participate in this runoff. Um, I'm a, a Republican and I'm a Christian and I'm from Alabama, but I just feel like he reinforces all of the worst stereotypes about Republicans and Christians and people from Alabama. And I feel can I, like. Can I tell you something, Allison? I, I, and I, I should have brought this up before, but now you're. I'm having conscience uh pangs of conscience here or something or something like that um you know he was asked pretty recently i think by a reporter what he this is now more what he thought about daca and at least from what i read and he didn't know he didn't know what it was (laughs) yep he didn't know what it was which if you're running for a senate seat in alabama i mean that's kind of up there with running for president and saying what is aleppo which if you remember gary johnson said back uh what was that yes last summer and everyone's like you're kidding right dude not great that Moore didn't know what daca is i can't i cannot lie folks that is not encouraging uh, but hey you know some people make mistakes maybe yeah. he misheard him but especially considering that he was the former chief justice of the state supreme court and the whole legal argument surrounding all of that it just seems impossible that he did not know what that is um, but needless to you would say, think it. I mean, that's why I mean, there must have been maybe he just look, I do radio. And sometimes even in the middle of this, I'll realize I've spaced out for a second or a caller. I won't hear something quite right. And that can ha- I don't I don't I'm not trying to dodge. I, I brought it up because I had to be honest, with everybody. That was not a that was not an inspiring moment from the likely next uh, Alabama senator. But uh, oh, so know, what was your. The interviewer gave him multiple opportunities to jog his memory, so I don't think that he just spaced out. But 
And needless to say, I was really torn about it because, of course, there's a lot of people who have a, a negative image of Luther Strange as far as the way he was appointed to that seat. The fact that Mitch McConnell um, had requested to the former governor, had actually asked him to appoint Luther Strange to Jeff Sessions. Do you think it was just McConnell backlash? Is that really what was going on? I think that was a big part of it. And I think especially in the in the first race when Mo Brooks was in it, I think everyone was kind of startled by the amount of money that they threw into it and the attacks on Mo Brooks. And I just, I really, and I hated to see it happen because I knew what was going to end up happening. Um, but the ads and everything they were inundating us with, it would end up leading to this, to Roy Moore and Luther Strange. And I think that the Republicans thought that it would be an easy win. And I don't know why they thought that. And I think by the time they realized, based on what the results were in the first round, I think it, 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 then they knew that they had kind of messed up because he ended up uh, beating both of them. So I just, you know, I hate it on one hand, but at the same time, I know that those stereotypes, they, they already exist anyway. People already think that way about Republicans and Christians and people from Alabama. The fact that this race even happened it, it was enough negative publicity in that regard. And so I just ended up biting the bullet and voting for him because I felt like it was important um, to at least to not send another ally up there for Mitch McConnell um, to make sure that Trump realizes, you know, that even though we support him and we support his agenda first and foremost, really. And so it's not just as simple as him coming out to campaign for someone and everyone's going to fall in line behind. I mean, people realize that he doesn't know Luther Strange and um, just him having been a lobbyist and a lot of things he's been involved in with like the EB-5 immigration, uh, the visas and um, a few other things that, that he's been involved with that are kind of shady. So he just wasn't a great candidate. Roy Moore is not a good candidate. I, I, I kind of hate that it happened this way. Um, but it is what it is, and I hope that at least it will spare the other Republicans that are going to be the other incumbents who have races coming up, and maybe it'll make them realize that they actually do have to get on board with this agenda and the things we voted for, because if not, the craziest person that we can find will probably end up getting sent to the Senate. So or losing to a Democrat. And that's honestly, I think that is a possibility to happen in December. I hope it doesn't, but that could happen. All right, Allison, thank you so much for the call in from Alabama Shields. I appreciate it. Felix uh, in Texas, listening on the iHeart app. What's up, Felix? Oh, not much. Thank you for taking my call. Thank I you, sir. I have a question on North Korea. Um, yep. When we went into Iraq, they wouldn't let inspectors in there or whatnot for uh, – Weapons of mass destruction. That's why we went after Saddam. So North well, Korea, there, there were inspectors, but then they're playing games with the inspectors. Then we didn't think the inspectors could 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 do enough, and that's a big long debate in and of itself. But yeah, there were problems with the inspectors. That was the and, and Saddam did kick them out. So yeah, yeah. I mean, is North Korea lucky they don't have something we want? Why couldn't we play the same card with China and other people from the UN or other inspectors? To do that, I mean, wouldn't that line front for something to go ahead and go? Well, you're saying why don't we have a an inspections regime in place with Iraq the way that we did with um, the way North that we, Korea. Well, the, the, the problem with North Korea is that we're, we were inspecting Saddam to make sure he didn't build nuclear weapons, right? That was the purpose of the inspection. With North Korea, we would be inspecting already established nuclear programs and nuclear weapons and missiles, right? So – 
So we know they have them, uh, and we're not trying to prevent them from. But this is a, this is an important distinction, um, Felix. We're not trying to prevent yeah. them from getting them because they're already there. So we're trying to get them to give them up. So it's a different it's a different game than the one we were playing in Iraq. And because we didn't believe at the time that we would be able to deter them from pursuing weapons of mass destruction at some point, or, or there's is a big and I get look. I worked in the CIA Iraq office. I understand there's a big complicated discussion that we're stepping into with the Iraq WMD thing. But I'm just saying we were trying to stop them from getting weapons of mass destruction. Whereas with North Korea, they already have them. And this is, I think, the lesson that Iran takes from all this. Iran is on the pathway to getting them. North Korea already has them. Iraq didn't get them, and we took them out. Iran wants to be in the North Korea camp because once you get them. We have not been able to uh, take a place by force that has nukes for obvious reasons because the cost is just too high. No one's going to do it, and everyone's worried about even destabilizing it through a coup or any of the other things that uh, foreign states and foreign actors have engaged in, in the past to get their way on some of these policy or some of these uh, national security issues. So with North Korea, we want them to get rid of their nukes, and they won't, and we've already put them under as much economic pressure, or we're trying to put them under as much economic pressure as we can. We've just upped that recently by getting the Chinese to agree to limit oil. But look, that's all official stuff, right? There's a, there's a big border between yeah. China and North Korea. It's going to be a lot of oil smuggling, just like there was smuggling into Iraq and the oil for food program. And, you know, there was so there's this is all going to be stuff that, doesn't work as well as we wanted to. Uh, at best, maybe it buys us some time, or it uh, puts, you know, putting pressure on the North Korean regime. The problem is we don't even know what that looks like. What is pressure on the North Korean regime? Who takes over? You know, if there was a palace coup in, in Pyongyang, do we do we think the next guy would be that much better? Who would it even be? I mean, I don't think anyone knows, right? So this is North Korea is an incredibly complicated problem set, and. The things that we're doing are are tried and true in the sense that they've been done elsewhere, but with limited results. And in North Korea, I think the results are are not going to be very good. Yeah, okay. I just thought we could figure out what they had in their arsenal because they're they're testing something for a reason, just to know where they're at, just to keep them as a level. No, I mean, look, we we would love we would love to, Felix, but they're not going to let our people in there because we're we're already sanctioning them. So and there's no and our deal with them or not our deal, but our demand is, look, you got to get rid of this nuclear weapons program you've got. And and that's it. I mean, we're not, we're not saying, hey, OK, the nukes you have are OK. Just don't build any more. So we're going to send in inspectors. Right. So it's a little bit. It's a different problem set in that way. But anyway, my friend Shields, hi. thank you very much for calling in, Felix. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, one note here, because I'm seeing this now on MSNBC. Trump mentioned this today with Tom Price on the uh, private jet travel. I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but play clip one, please. So uh, HHS Secretary uh, Price is in in the hot seat right now, and I should note that I'm I'm watching. I've got monitors in here in the in the uh, Las Vegas Freedom Hunt, and they're they're running a story on Price. I have not seen anything about Menendez this hour, but they're certainly running stories on Price and the private jet usage. This is one of these stories that it, it only is useful insofar as. Uh, 
Democrats like to talk about how Republicans are fat cats that light their cigars with $100 bills and, you know, are are just in the pocket of Wall Street and flying over their private jets. Meanwhile, you look at the most prominent Democrats, the Clintons, super rich, the Obamas, super rich, Nancy Pelosi, super rich, John Kerry, super rich by marrying wealthy women twice. Uh, you, you look at what what the Democrat Party's leadership is actually like, and, and they're the they're the private jet progressive club. But it is it is a different thing when you're on the taxpayer dime. I'm not saying I'm I'm not playing the game the left plays here, where they say that oh emails were sent from private servers, just like Hillary kind of. No, not like Hillary at all. Um, and private jet usage that you pay for is different from when the taxpayers are on are on the hook for it. But yeah, price took uh, looks like eleven. Uh, 11 jet uh, trips, uh, 11 trips, and one of them he had lunch with his son or something. I mean, so, you know, HHS secretary, this is, they've got to understand, they're looking for this. The, the press lives for this. Just anything that shows Republicans engaged in bad governance, in self-dealing, splurges, uh, anything like that at all is going to be, uh, big fodder for Democrats, uh, and they're going to. I see it's on CNN now. It's on MSNBC now. I mean, it's all it's all over the place. I love it. CNN Senate panel agrees to issue subpoena for Manafort. MSNBC Tom Price uses private jet for. It's like, hmm. I'm noticing a trend here. Those are the most important stories in the country right now. Apparently, I mean, here we are in in uh, in prime time TV uh, prime time, and that's what they want to talk about. The HHS secretary's use of taxpayer funded jets. And the uh, Manafort, the Manafort subpoena. Gosh, this is, I don't even think these stories are interesting, but people love it. Anything that Republicans bad, Democrats good, they love it on the left, man, I'm telling you. 844-900-BUCK. Um, we are going to be joined in the next hour, just to give you a little, a little look ahead here. We've got Michelle Malkin. Coming to hang out in the Freedom Hunt party here. She's, uh, well, you know Michelle Malkin, sort of columnist, CRTV. Also, uh, former director of the CIA, my old outfit, uh, Ambassador James Woolsey. Supposed to be calling in to talk to us about EMPs. If if he can't make it today, we'll get him later on this week. I think he's going to join us later on in the show, though. So we've got some fun stuff coming up, or at least some interesting stuff coming up in the third hour. I mean, EMPs is a pretty sobering conversation. Um, But that's where we're headed. And if you've got some thoughts on any of this, 844-900-2825. Got a spot or two open here on the lines. If you want to want to join in, we'll be right back. There's something going on with allergies. I, I think that's that's fair to say, right? Because, you know, I flew down here today to Las Vegas and, and we didn't have this problem. Although I had to think about it. I, I had some almonds and I'm like, well, does anyone I haven't heard them announce there's a an allergy on the plane. I guess that's is that only for peanuts or sometimes almond? I think it's nuts in general. But you know, you'll I've been on a plane before. They say, "Excuse me, everyone, can we please not open the peanuts in the uh, in the packages because there's an allergy?" And I'm like, "Wait, what? Really? Why? Why uh, is that? Is why is that going to be uh, an issue? It really is." particles of this in the air and this didn't used to be the case i never heard about this growing up i heard about allergies but i never heard that you know if you open a bag of peanuts in in the uh you know seat right next to the bathroom which is tends to be where i sit on the plane that somebody in first class could go into shock and 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 have a real medical event right i mean that 
that a medical emergency that I had not heard of before. And then you don't even get me started on celiac disease, which I have, which is not actually an allergy. It's always interesting to see whether people know what they're talking about or not. They'll say, well, I'm allergic to gluten. I'm like, well, do you have celiac disease? Yes. I'm like, well, that's not an allergy, actually. It has nothing to do with histamines, nothing to do with the the allergic response. Celiac disease is actually an autoimmune disorder where your autoimmune system in your GI tract overreacts to gluten or gliadin protein. But it's a we'll, we'll talk. We'll, we'll hashtag science the celiac discussion for a, another day. Uh, but allergies are all over the place, and now you have this. Uh, you have you have two things, right? Everyone's got these allergies that are super severe. And I've been out with friends, and you know, I was out recently with a friend of mine and his his fiance. And she listed her allergies. I, I really had to ask the question all honestly. I'm like, what can you eat? You know, I'm allergic to soy. I'm allergic to nuts. I'm allergic to dairy. I'm allergic to fish. I'm allergic to shellfish. I'm allergic to... Went down this whole list, and I'm like, uh, you can eat celery, carrots, you know, essentially rabbit food. Um, Yeah, that's, that's tough. It's tough stuff. And uh, I, I've spoken to people, though, who have... You know, all of a sudden they, they chomped on a shrimp and like their, you know, face blew up into this big, uh, big blob because of the uh, allergic reaction. So something's going on with allergy. I have no idea what it is. I've read some crazy theories, you know. I mean, you know, man, oh, there's fluoride in the water. It's the Bilderbergs. I, mean, I don't know what it is, but allergies are, there's definitely a problem going on with allergies. It's different now. And celiac disease is not an allergy, but there's also an issue with that that no one seems to understand what's going on. Uh, but okay, and you've also got people that get pulled off planes. So here you go. You have a woman, and do we have uh, Ty? We, we there's no she doesn't use any. There's no there's no um, profanity, right? Because we just pulled. Um, why don't we hold this then? For I don't want to air it because I don't. She she's being pulled off of. We'll, we'll check and make sure she's being pulled off of. It's not a it's not great audio. It's not like stop the hammering, which actually he did use a lot of profanity, but we didn't air that. Uh, stop the hammering, Lawrence O'Donnell. Oh, such a man for the people. But a woman got pulled off of a flight. It was, I think, Baltimore, a Southwest flight heading for L.A., and she didn't like that somebody, or said that she was deathly allergic to dogs. And someone on the flight, including someone with a service dog, uh, well, was present. And she wanted the person with the dog to get off the flight. Well, I hate to be the one to break it to her, but if you're the one with the allergy to the dogs that you say is life-threatening, you're the one who gets off the flight. Yeah, that's the way it's going to go. Uh, she disagreed, and uh, the police disagreed with her. They came on the flight and had to physically remove her from the plane, which also makes me think, uh, was she really deathly allergic? I've never heard of deathly allergic to dogs. I mean, Miss Molly is allergic to dogs, but she doesn't care. And I always see her. It's so cute. She lets, like, dogs will lick her hand or her neck or something, and then she'll have a little, like, rash from the dog because she's allergic to them, but she doesn't care. She loves them so much. She will hang out with them anyway. Uh, but, yeah, this woman said that she couldn't handle it because of her allergy, and so they said, well, then you got to get off the flight, and the cops had to drag her off. Southwest has got a PR issue. I think the NFL is in a box. I think they're in a really bad box. You look at what's happening with their ratings. You look at what's going. I mean, frankly, the only thing that's doing well in the NFL is the pregame because everybody wants to see what's going on. The NFL is in a very bad box. You cannot have people disrespecting our national anthem, our flag, our country 
and that's what they're doing. And in my opinion, the NFL has to change. Or you know what's going to happen? Their business is going to go to hell. President Trump saying the NFL has to change or their business will go to hell. By the way, you might have caught before that we actually ended up playing by accident some of the audio from the plane where the woman was taken off after she said she was allergic to dogs, deathly allergic to dogs. Um, So those got mixed in together. But let's focus on Trump and the NFL and their business model possibly going to hell. We've got Michelle Malkin on the line now. She's a conservative syndicated columnist, host of Michelle Malkin Investigates on CRTV and the author of of Culture of Corruption. Michelle, great to have you. Thanks for having me back, Buck. Uh, talk to me about your piece in Nash Review, how the NFL feeds at the taxpayer trough. I feel like this doesn't get nearly enough attention as everyone's discussing the First Amendment and Trump and all the rest of it. Yeah, they, they, it sure hasn't gotten enough attention, but it really has been a hobby horse of mine for many, many years. In fact, the very first website I started in 1999, way back when, before there was even software, was called Porkwatch. And uh, the reason it came to my attention was I was a local editorial writer and columnist for the Seattle Times uh, at the very moment when the, the Seattle Seahawks were throwing a big tantrum because they wanted the taxpayers of Seattle and Washington State to subsidize a, a brand-new stadium for them. Um, and it is the case in, in many states uh, across the country that boomers have said no to these kinds of referendums, and yet these um, NFL franchises have gotten their way again and again and again. And since I uh, started Pork Watch in 1999, it is now the case that uh, every year taxpayers at all levels of government, local, state, and federal, subsidize the NFL one way or the other in terms of state construction construction to the tune of $1 billion a year. Um, and that's not just in, in outright um, subsidies, explicit subsidies, but everything from federally tax-exempt bond um, issuances to uh, property tax waivers um, to the write-offs that um, corporate sponsors of NFL teams get for their purchases of luxury boxes and, and tickets and naming rights on these um, publicly subsidized sports palaces. So the idea that somehow the NFL constitutes a private enterprise and uh, that um, President Trump has uh, no jurisdiction whatsoever to be uh, leveling any kind of criticism of them is hypocritical on so many levels, Buck. I mean, not only because they operate as a quasi-public entity, but also because so the same people who are making this argument are the leftists who have no problem with uh, Democrat officials who were calling to ban Chick-fil-A because the founders uh, held traditional values. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of hypocrisy that's been on display here. But, you know, I should in even even for Democrats, for whom I think hypocrisy is, is a defining characteristic. Yeah. I'm seeing, though, that uh, there are talks that there will be. Even more NFL protests coming up this weekend, at least that's the latest as of today. Where do you think this is going? What's it going to take before NFL players realize, no, no, if you if you do something that is a political statement during the national anthem, you are upsetting people and you are uh, disrespecting the flag. Like that, that is what you are doing. You are choosing to do that. What's it going to take? Yeah, well, I, I think when these... Uh, franchises and these owners really uh, start to feel it in their pocketbooks, then they'll get the message. It's really the only language that they speak. And, that, and if it means a taxpayer revolt um, with regard to uh, subsidizing these uh, stadiums, 
maybe that's what it takes. I mean, you've got these cases where these so-called public-private investments suck up billions of dollars, and then, you know, the, the loyalty is only a one-way street. As soon as the, the orange for a retractable roof or, or more luxury boxes, these teams are out of there. Um, and so I think that's, that's one aspect of it. Another is, I mean, clearly... Uh, President Trump is not backing down, and he made new statements today that uh, these, these NFL businesses are going to go to hell if they um, keep um, essentially giving the middle finger to the, the mainstream of their customer base. And um, I think he's absolutely right about that. I think it's interesting that you've got all of these chin pullers in the Beltway media establishment um, who are, are so concerned that, that this is an obsession for Trump. I mean, he can walk and chew gum at the same time. He's, you know, conducting the, the business of, of the country and paying attention to cultural touchstones that ordinary Americans care about. We're speaking to Michelle Malkin. She is a syndicated columnist, host of Michelle Malkin Investigates on CRTV, author of Culture of Corruption. Uh, Michelle, your your thoughts on, I talked about it a bit on the show, but I wanted your your biggest takeaways or biggest takeaway on the uh, GOP showdown in Alabama last night where Trump backed the wrong horse. Yeah, he, he sure did. And, and it, it's hard for me to know exactly what kind of, of uh, deal trading went on behind the scenes um, for him to have given that obviously mistaken um, and, and ill-thought-out endorsement. I mean, you did have... Uh, Trump come out today with uh, his tax reform plan that is backed by the establishment types, the McConnells and, and the Ryans, and it was McConnell who was the, the biggest force behind Luther Strange. I mean, there's so much strangeness about um, that, that, that entire race. Clearly, Roy Moore is so much of a, of a, of a candidate who supported, in word and deed, uh, much of the Trump agenda specifically with regard to immigration and sovereignty issues. So on its face, it, 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 it makes no sense. So there, there really was something that went on behind the scenes there. I don't know how many more times Trump is going to repeat this mistake, though. I mean, it, it dates back to his endorsement of, of Paul Ryan for re-election, and I've got to think that's something that he has come to regret. But how much more in you know grassroots Republican donations have to be wasted before this lesson is learned? Are you concerned, Michelle, that uh, President Trump has uh, lost lost his way a little bit right now with regard to the agenda? Where do you, where do you think we are with that? Well, you know, of course, the, the, the signature piece of his agenda was building the wall, and we have gotten some progress on that. With the prototypes that are being built and tested in San Diego. I just came back from the border this summer. Um, along the Arizona-Mexican border, um, talking with all parties involved and their unhappiness with uh, the the pace of, of progress. Um, so many of these ranchers have suffered for so long, and they have put high hopes in the Trump administration to actually get something done. Um, could it be faster? Yes. Um, I still have to remind myself every day when I wake up in the morning that we are a lot better off than, than, we, than we would be. Um, with the other candidate who ran in the race. All that said, I think um, I think what needs to happen is that grassroots constitutional conservatives need to have a place at the table in the White House to avert um, the kind of, of errors that we saw with the um, with the strange Moore race. Um, and 
honestly, with, with what's happened with the healthcare debacle as well. Yeah, I mean, co option is something that the establishment excels at. We know that, right? If there's yeah. one thing you can count on the establishment to be good at, it's saying, we've got the money all lined up for you. You know, we'll be better treated in the press, certainly, than constitutional conservatives will. And and we'll make things easier for you. And, and I worry that with Trump, that can divert him, at least, from some key parts of what, what he promised from the beginning. Yeah, well, that is true. I, I always worry about that. And I, I think it helps me manage my expectations every day. Um, and do you want McConnell? Better. Can I ask you, oh. do you want McConnell gone? Absolutely, I do. I've wanted to go for a long, long time. Uh, you know, pre-Tea Party, you know, with a revolt against both the NRFC and the NRCC, and uh, all my blog, I used to regularly um, run pictures of, of uh, people who had, you know, X'd out their envelope because they were not giving money to uh, establishment um, Republican Party fundraising organizations anymore, and they still haven't got the message. I mean, the the replacement of these establishment types with two constitutional conservatives has gone at a glacial pace. Um, and, you know, and I think that there has been, sort of, you know, too much hope placed in, in um, things that are not ever going to happen. I mean, we've never, I mean, it's been 25, almost 30 years now that I've covered politics, Everybody says they want term limits, but it hasn't happened. And so the natural term limits are at the ballot box every year. And if people aren't going to exercise that power, they have nobody to blame but themselves. All right, Michelle Malkin, everybody. She is the host of Michelle Malkin Investigates on CRTV and author of Culture of Corruption. Michelle, always appreciate you making the time. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me, Buck. Uh, team, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-282. We will be back in just a few with uh, probably a little discussion about where Betsy DeVos stands in the uh, where she is in the left standings of uh, hatred for Republican officials. This might surprise you. We'll be right back. Let me just say that one sexual assault on campus is one too many, but one person denied due process is one too many and that's really what this is all about we we really need to get to a point where it's fair for all students and where it, it is a it is clear what the process is for all students there have been too many students wronged in in a, a well-intentioned attempt to ensure that this issue is not swept under the rug and not hidden in back rooms of schools any longer and we have no intention of doing that. We have every intention of continuing to make sure that students feel safe and that they all have a fair and equal um, forum in which to work through such issues as this. Now, that's Betsy DeVos, the education secretary. The left hates her. In fact, according to a poll in The Hill, she is the single most hated cabinet member. I mean, the most disliked, I should say, maybe, but they hate her. Uh, of all of Trump's cabinet, it is Betsy DeVos. She's the one that the most respondents to this poll dislike. I should note that General Mattis gets the biggest approval uh, from uh, from Democrats. Uh, but Betsy DeVos, they absolutely despise her. You had uh, 28% that approve of Betsy DeVos, whereas 40% disapprove of what she's doing at the, at the Department of Education. You would think that this is 
a pretty non-controversial position. The Obama administration came in and was like, hey, we're going to change the standard of proof so that you're going to hold sexual assault tribunals on campus. And if it's like 51 percent, you think he's guilty, but 49 percent he's not. Let's go with guilty. I mean, that's that's a short version of more or less what the Obama administration was saying about, you know, and and they had the power of the purse behind all this because of Title IX. They're going to cut off federal funds. Before Obama did this. There were still plenty of there's the criminal justice system for sexual assaults, but it's not the case that there were uh, that there was a a plague of sexual assaults on campus. But this was uh, really a a legend on the left. This was created as a uh, as a campaign of hysteria. And it led to policy because the war on women and misogyny and sexism and gender identity politics are so central to the Democrats message. But. I hope that DeVos, who also was recently written about for flying in private jets, but it's her jet and she pays for it. So what is what? Who cares? Right. I mean, this is uh, a non-story story, but they were trying to create the association in people's minds that Betsy DeVos flies in a private jet like Tom Price. Well, no, Price is having taxpayers foot the bill. That's different. Uh, But the fact that the left dislikes DeVos so much goes to, in my mind, a few things. First of all, this whole campus sexual assault issue has been so polluted with politicization that you have people. I saw I can't remember who it was. That was one is some idiot celebrity. There's so many of them that are basically saying Betsy DeVos. And I'm I'm not exaggerating. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not exaggerating that Betsy DeVos is pro rape. That Betsy DeVos is opposed to the rights of uh, sexual assault victims, which is just a it's just a slander. I mean, it's just a lie. It's not based in any reality whatsoever. But this is the meme. This is the thought that gets out there. And man, were, were they vicious about this DeVos change? Because it's it's also an, it's another one of these endless positions that it's so easy to hold on the left and think that you're some kind of a hero. It's like, yeah, I'm opposed to, you know, I'm opposed to sexual assault on campus. I'm a hero. We're all we're all opposed to sexual assault on campus. What kind of idiotic self-congratulations can the left engage in here? Well, the answer is a lot, unfortunately. But DeVos just restored some semblance of rights of the accused here on campus. She has no say over the criminal justice system. So if someone assaults some, uh, someone assaults somebody else on campus sexually, the, the first decision, the first call that should be made is is to local police. But the the campuses are uh, laboratories for all kinds of political experiments, and the left sees them as such, understands them as such, and they uh, also realize that culture is downstream from campuses. That what happens on these uh, university campuses, then filters out into corporate America, into media, into the rest of the country. Uh, and they also view it as a training ground for the progressives of tomorrow. And so convincing people that uh, young men have no rights, I mean, there are young men whose lives are ruined by this stuff. I knew of a case, I think it was a year or two below me in school, where a, a young woman accused somebody that I knew in school of of sexually assaulting her. 
um, of, of, of raping her. And it went all the way to court. She actually went to the police and it went to trial. And my understanding is that she recanted. That she reconsidered. Once it, once it came to sworn testimony, she reconsidered. Now, there could be any number of explanations for that. And, you know, I don't I don't know what happened. I was not only was I not there. I never spoke to either party about the case. I just heard I had graduated, but I heard about it and I knew the individual who was accused. And uh, he was a minority. And I should note that some have pointed out that this campus sexual assault guidelines that the left is championing, which is unfair, which are unfair guidelines, disproportionately affect, therefore disproportionately disadvantage young minority men on campus. You would think that that would get some attention, but no, it's it's all there's all a hierarchy. And if creating a a campus rape hysteria is useful for the narrative building and the political purposes of the Democrat Party, if that means that some young minority men have to have their lives, their reputations ruined, you know, make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs, right? That's the approach they take. And that that they hate DeVos, and this is separate from the sexual assault campus issue, that they hate DeVos so much is also just instructive to how much propagandizing goes into uh, the Department of Education and the way people are taught to revere public education in this country that in so many cases fails and is failing. But if you are a threat to that system, which is largely a political patronage system, public schools in this country and the public sector unions of those schools are critical to the Democratic Party's political prospects. That's their primary function. That's the most important thing they do. It's not about teaching kids, but that's why they have to weaponize public opinion against anybody who threatens that control. Anybody who would be uh, a risk for the public school cartel has to be shouted down, has to be defamed, and Betsy DeVos falls in that category. Here's a nice woman who's a billionaire who wants particularly young minority children to have a better shot in school and to have better access in school. And the left hate, they hate her for it. Tells you a lot. And uh, she, should wear their, she should wear their disdain as a badge of honor. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that there are some rough days with it, too. Uh, we're going to talk EMPs, I think, coming up, so stick around for that. Oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, I think we'll have uh, former CIA director Woolsey on with me. So it's going to be a former CIA to former CIA chat. You'll want to hear it. All right, we've got Rob in North Carolina on WPTI. Hey, Rob. Hey, Buck. How are you? I'm good, man. Having fun here in Vegas, you know, just living life. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm holding it down up here in, uh, or down here, over here in uh, North Carolina. If I ever so, really uh, just tire of New York City and, and its environs too much, I feel like one of the Carolinas might be where I have to go. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Hey, where I live uh, here in the triad, you got skiing in the mountains an hour and a half to the west. You got the beach three, three and a half hours to the east. So, hey, I can't <laughs> complain. Fair enough, man. So I know you got the NFL on your mind. What's going on? Yeah, this anthem thing. I just have a couple of points. And my first point is, you know, I believe the kneeling stunt that was perpetrated by uh, Colin Kaepernick when it first started, this is one of the sillier stunts that we've seen by agents of the far left in a while. You know, they, he says that he's protesting racism. 
And I just don't, I don't see where that is, you know, because, because from what the left tells me, one can't be racist without power. And I know of no U.S. public or private institution with power or sway that practices racism in 2017 America. So that, that's my first point. Mm-hmm. And this, the, how, but however, though, um, I do disagree with the president on this. Uh, I don't think they should be fired for kneeling unless their bosses send out an inner office memo that outlaws it, because that's the bottom line. If, if it's okay for them to do in their workplace, they should be able to do it because kneeling silently in public while the Star Spangled Banner is being played, no matter how silly it looks, it falls under the protection of free speech. And, you know, the what if... Well, when you say the protection of free speech, you, you understand the First Amendment doesn't protect you from your employer firing you for undesirable speech. It just protects you from the government infringing upon your speech rights. You, you oh, mean yeah, you don't have a right absolutely. to be an NFL player who can say whatever he wants, right? I mean, let, let, let me give it to you this another way. What, what if a player, what if an NFL player showed up and that player had a, um, I don't know, uh, had a Confederate flag uh, cape on and, and wanted to walk up and down the field with that before each, uh, each match? Would that, would that be First Amendment protected? I, I can guarantee you that player would be fired. Right. So, well, yeah, oh, absolutely. But but now if I go to a football game and I want to walk up and down the aisles with a Confederate flag cape on, I'm absolutely protected by First Amendment speech rights because I don't work for the NFL. That's my point. If yeah, the I, but they, they, I mean, they could if they thought you posed a public uh, if you post a hold on, hold on one second. Uh, if, okay. You know, it's a private venue, so they could ask you to leave. Right. Just like a restaurant could if you're causing a ruckus or whatever. I mean, that. So yeah, they they can't fire you if you're not Absolutely. an employee. But you know the, the the first there's the First Amendment as as it pertains to law. Then there's the concept of free speech, and people are trying to blend the two for their own purposes right now. But but it's not the same thing. You, yeah. you understand that you you well, get the distinction I'm making, right? I mean, I feel like the Confederate I, flag I issue. I, yeah, I think because I think I'm making that point. I think that if if the, if the NFL says. Kneeling during the Star-Spangled Banner is detrimental to the conduct of a football player. You're going to be in trouble if you do it. And they do it, and they get fired. I'm cool with that. If they're breaking their, their workplace rules and by kneeling, because, you know, the part of the product that the NFL puts out is the display of the colors and the Star-Spangled Banner. And if they want those guys standing up with, to attention with hands on their heart and one of them doesn't do it, then they should, you know, be subject to the punishment as – Okay, so you're, so you're saying they, they, but so you're saying they don't have a first. I mean, they have a First Amendment right in terms of the government, but not in terms of their employer. It, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's okay, exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, well, that that's I, correct. I, so there if, we go. Good. But if the NFL, yeah, if the NFL guys, if the you know Roger Goodell or whoever's the commissioner says, hey, if y'all want to kneel during the Star Spangled Banner, go for it. Cool. Which apparently this last weekend they let them. So I mean, that's I I think that they should be allowed to do that as long as their bosses are okay with them doing it. That's, that's my point. Oh yeah. No, sure. I just, I don't, I don't, I think it's a bad business decision for their bosses to allow them to do it. And I also think it's dishonest. Oh yeah. It's it's dishonest for the NFL to pretend that they don't make these kinds of distinctions in other areas. I mean, the, the most, uh, the most powerful example is, is when it came to wearing decals on, on helmets after the slaughter of what was it, five police officers by that deranged madman who was inspired by the rhetoric of Black Lives Matter in Dallas, 
they weren't allowing the Dallas Cowboys to honor those officers in law enforcement, you know, because they said no. So, so they draw those lines, and the fact that they're not oh, they drawing did. that line here is very instructive, I think, of where the NFL is right now. Well, and you know, and it's all well, it's all a business decision, and if their business decision causes their product not to be uh, bought in the marketplace as much as it was in the past, then you know they'll have to. That's a row they're going to have to hoe. But I just, I just think that we, you know, like with Trump. Before Friday, you had like four or five knuckleheads that were basically doing their kneel thing or whatever, and it, the, the story was. Yeah, are fast. you gonna say he's made it? He's made it much much worse. He's thrown gasoline on the fire, so to speak, because yeah, I, he I threw gasoline on the fire. He got the whole league to kneel. But, what, but what's he's? But what is Trump trying to? Yeah, 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 I get it. But what's Trump trying to uh, show here? What, what's the purpose of him saying this? It's not. He doesn't care what happens with the NFL, one way or the other. This may, this out. exposes a mentality that exists not just in the NFL, but is uh, very prevalent in media, very prevalent in the Democrat Party. Uh, that you know anything that you want to do to quote raise awareness end quote, which is a very malleable and I think abused phrase. But anything you want to do to raise oh, awareness, I hate that, but the, I hate that term. Now. Uh, yeah, I hate I'm it too because it's it's an term. excuse. It's just an excuse. All right, thank you very much for calling in, my friend from North Carolina. I do appreciate it. It's an excuse that this is why raising awareness is the go-to response. Because you can excuse anything that you do, really, if you're just raising awareness about it, right? This is why when someone makes a false uh, a false claim, a false police report even, of, uh, of an assault because of anti-Muslim bias, or you know, we've had some of these, right? Oh, he came up to me and yelled mean anti-Muslim stuff and ripped my hijab off. Oh, no, actually, I was lying about that. Oh, but I was raising awareness with my lie, and everyone goes, "Oh, okay, that's that's fine." You know, this people are trying to play games here. Kaepernick was taking a knee because of the oppression of minorities in this country at the hands of police officers, and specifically, the police officers are killing young black men without cause. That's what started the whole thing, and he chose the anthem because it was going to get a lot of attention because he was disrespecting the anthem. That's the whole point, right? This wouldn't be, you know, if if I walked into someone's wedding and picked a fight with them right before they said I do about how they owe me a hundred bucks from, you know, 10 years ago. Don't tell me that I'm not doing it at their wedding because I'm trying to, I'm not trying to embarrass them. Of course I am. Right. So that's, we, we can all be adults about this. I mean, the choice of the timing here is everything. The timing is everything. And that there's this effort to try and, uh, you know, muddy, muddy the waters here to make this a more, Oh, well, you know, it's, not about disrespecting the flyer. Disre- well, what's it about? How, how much? How much you love the anthem? So you you make a spectacle of yourself? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. Uh, but as to whether this is a good idea for Trump or not, that's an that's an interesting um, interesting point on this. Um, as to whether or not it's a good idea, I would say that it depends on what you're trying. If you're Trump, depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I think that this. I think for Trump's base, this plays well all day. Look, it plays well with me. I want to know who thinks that this is appropriate. Forget about just the NFL players. I want to see who defends this. Not, oh, I defend their right to do it under the First Amendment. No, 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 no. What do you think of the wisdom of this? That's the real question. What do you think of the, um, uh, what do you think of the decision to do it by those who are involved? So there we have it. Uh, 
All right, uh, we've got uh, Ambassador Woolsey on the line here. He's a former director of the CIA. Um, let's uh, let's bring him in. Ambassador Woolsey, thank you so much. We've only got a few minutes here, but tell me about the EMP threat in North Korea. Well, uh, if you detonate a nuclear weapon uh, up uh, at the altitude where low-Earth satellites orbit, uh, 10, 50, 100, 200, 300 miles, uh, it uh, creates uh, uh, gamma rays and magnetized, uh, 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 essentially, uh, radio waves from the sun, just like the ones that come from the sun occasionally, naturally. Uh, but you can do it uh, on purpose, and if you do that, uh, you can effectively knock out the electricity grid uh, uh, underneath where that uh, satellite has uh, been uh, detonated with a nuclear weapon in it. And we've seen in Puerto Rico uh, what uh, life is like uh, without an electricity grid. Uh, It's hideous. And virtually everything else depends on electricity. So it's not just that you uh, um, have to go down to the corner gas station and uh, get uh, gasoline for your uh, 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 in order to run your some appliance. Uh, you get there and you find out that uh, there's uh, no uh, uh, gasoline, uh, uh, and that means that there's no electricity because the pumps all run on gasoline. Uh, you can't um, can't run the hospitals. Uh, you can't. Uh, uh, people can't get uh, clean water to drink. Uh, it's uh, a hideous uh, situation, and we're seeing uh, a, a version of it in Puerto Rico uh, right now. Now, how could we protect ourselves specifically from North Korea on this front? I'm assuming missile defense has to play a large role. Well, one can shoot down the missiles that uh, they would uh, maybe shoot at us, but it's hard to shoot down uh, the satellites uh, if they launch the satellites to the south. Uh, We've got all our planning done for our military to defend against uh, (laughs) launches of missiles or anything else. Uh, that uh, comes at us uh, from the north. Uh, but if uh, somebody turns that around and says, hey, why don't we launch to the south? We'll come at, up at the Americans uh, from uh, Brazil and uh, and Antarctica and so forth. Uh, there's not a lot that our current uh, systems can do to deal with that. Uh, we'd have to put some time and effort uh, into uh, defending against uh, those uh, types of problems. Now, I mean, there's a piece here in the Hill. Uh, North Korea could kill up to ninety percent of Americans through an EMP attack. I mean, is that where are we getting these estimates? That's uh, that's from the EMP Commission that uh, uh, some uh, uh, bad guys on Capitol Hill are just about to uh, try to close down. Uh, but it's the, it's been operating for close to fifteen years, and it's uh, about the only institution in the country that has seriously looked at EMP and studied it and. It has uh, very, very distinguished scientists on it. It's chaired uh, uh, by uh, Bill Graham, who was President Reagan's science advisor, and has several others. Uh, Lowell Wood is one of the uh, real fathers of the uh, H-bomb. It has very, very smart and able people on it. And uh, uh, that uh, they reported uh, out uh, in an interim report about 10 years ago that said essentially the average uh, estimate for the number of people that would die within the first year uh, was uh, two-thirds of the American population, and the pessimistic uh, 
uh, uh, estimate would be uh, 90% would die within the first year. I mean, keep in mind, you're talking about social disruption here as well as uh, uh, hospitals closing down, uh, nobody getting the kind of medicine they need, uh, uh, water not being pure, uh, food not being available. Uh, uh, it's it's that that world. We're speaking to a former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Ambassador James Woolsey, about electromagnetic pulse weapons. Uh, Ambassador Woolsey, uh, by the way, ambassador or director? Because, you know, as a former agency guy, I feel like, uh, you know, I'd go director. Yeah, but. well, it's some kind of a technical thing in the State Department. The, the title is supposedly last as the ambassador one, but it didn't matter. Jim <laughs> okay. No, I, I just, you know, I, I, I get more excited <laughs> about the director of the agency part, of course, because of where I come from. But anyway, um, I, I want to just ask you, though, in terms of the science here uh, on EMPs, is there dispute about whether this could even be done, or is the dispute that people don't have the capability yet? There's a dispute, but it's a dispute between people who know the science and uh, these areas and are national, have national reputations, people like Bill Graham and Lowell Wood, uh, on the one hand, versus uh, people like they did on NPR a few weeks ago, uh, uh, basically just kind of make funny noises because they don't uh, have any arguments. Uh, they don't have any uh, uh, real reason why uh, uh, they don't believe this uh, could be done by, say, the Iranians or the North Koreans. Uh, but uh, they want to make uh, themselves look silly, I guess. Uh, uh, there are one or two people who who are distinguished scientists and who say this may be hard to do. Uh, the detonation may not occur at exactly the right altitude in order to do the kind the number of gamma rays you need, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the preponderance of the beliefs of the people who know this business uh, uh, is very strongly that it's extremely uh, dangerous and risky. One more for you, Ambassador Woolsey, before we let you go. Uh, you, you saw a lot of stuff at Langley, obviously, and, and also in your time uh, your time with, uh, with State as ambassador. Um, Tell me a bit about how how concerned you are right now about North Korea. Well, I'm very concerned because uh, uh, the uh, uh, state of mind of uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, and I must say also I, I really think Teddy Roosevelt had it right to speak softly and carry a big stick, and, and our, our president, whereas he is uh, responding to Kim Jong-un, uh, I think is not speaking softly and carrying a big stick. I, I, I think it would be better if he uh, speak a little little more softly. Uh, but because uh, you're not going to get anywhere uh, insulting back and forth. Uh, if you want to keep get, get this to work and get toned down without somebody accidentally or on purpose using a nuclear weapon, you've got to have some discussions and some sensible uh, folks uh, representing uh, us, and then maybe we can find somebody to represent them and uh, get together and, uh, and start talking about it a little bit. Uh, we can't uh, succeed uh, just by uh, them insulting us and then us, President, doing a better job, I think, of insulting them, but uh, and that's not going to keep us from uh, using nukes. We had... Uh, Probably twenty to twenty. Ambassador, we we we've we got. Unfortunately, we're, we're literally running up against the clock. We got to leave it there. But former CIA director uh, uh, James Woolsey, thank you so much for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Great to be with you. A team will be right back.
All right, team, I've got to go uh, hang out in Vegas because I'm down here for a few days, so I've, I've got to make that happen. Um, I, I don't think I even have a whole lot of time here to tell you about Vegas, although I, I did have a delay on my Delta flight on the way down, and, and I now I like to let Delta know when they let me down, which, is, which seems to be frequently. There's a problem. I th- what, did I, what did I tell them today? Something about how um, Delta, if the Soviet Union were still around, Delta Airlines would be its official airline. Um, so, yeah, they responded to me. They said thanks <laughs> for the feedback or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, they had a nice big delay for maintenance. Please download the podcast, Buck Sex with America Now, on iTunes. And I'll be back with you tomorrow and the next day here on uh, the Freedom Hut or the Vegas edition of the Freedom Hut, Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. Uh, very much enjoying my time here. So uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in, hanging out with me. Appreciate it. I am going to go and uh, win a whole bundle of money gambling, except that's not true because I don't gamble. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go eat some yummy food. I'll be hanging with you tomorrow. Until then, as always, my friends, shields high.